We're starting a new series today, going through the book of 2 Corinthians together. This series is called The Jesus Community, a community of people loving one another, focused on Jesus, grown in our faith with Jesus. When Jesus becomes the leader in our lives together, he transforms our community. And he was doing it in Corinth. He's doing it today in Auburn and across the Sound. And we're going to go through 2 Corinthians together. If you brought a Bible, you can open it up or on your phone, find 2 Corinthians. It's right after 1 Corinthians. It's to your right in a, in a physical Bible because it's in the New Testament. And this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church. And you might be wondering as we start this series, you know, why do we go through book by book in the Bible? We believe here that the Bible is God's word, that it is food for our souls. It is nourishment we need. And you'll find that in every class and every group, we focus on scripture. It's God's word. It's how he communicates to us. And our approach is, well, it's kind of like a cord with three strands. Together, we go through a book here on the weekends. 2 Corinthians is what we're starting now. And then a second piece is we encourage you during the week to go through Scripture. Don't wait till Sunday to get a meal, but open up your Bibles. Go through 2 Corinthians. Some of you, you might have a study Bible or commentaries. Uh, 2 Corinthians, you can meditate on it. You can memorize some verses. Spend time in 2 Corinthians alone, you and God. And the third piece is our life groups. And they're really the core of our church. We have about 50 life groups. And they meet together and dive into God's word. Going through sermon-based questions, it's a third way to experience God's word. When you spend time alone with God and his word. And then together as a church family, we spend time. And then in a life group, you get into the word. God reveals things and shows you and meets you. And he does it in a powerful way because his word, we want his word to dwell in us. We want to dwell in God's word, and God's word is transformative. So let's cultivate that habit of spending time in God's word. That's our approach here at Grace. If you're new, that might be helpful as we go through this book together. We want to dive in and meet God in his word. That's the sermon before the sermon, I think, but we're, we're going to dive in today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God's comfort is the theme, God's comfort. And as we go through this chapter, you might... Open up to God and receive his comfort and be aware in new ways that you really need his comfort. And I want to also share, sometimes there's different events that happen around the sound. And this Thursday, there's a men's breakfast. Not going to be here, so don't come here. You'll, you'll be all alone. You'll be disappointed. But at camp, Camp Sambica, which is up in Bellevue, men's breakfast, 7 o'clock. I know that's early, but I'll mention there's a free breakfast and bacon included for those of you who value bacon. Uh, we're going to have a great time, people gathered together around the sound. Men's breakfast, 7 o'clock this Thursday Come hungry for God's word. Come hungry for some. I, I'm told you can grab handfuls of bacon. Like it's going to be a lot of bacon. But breakfast together. So if you want to um, join in, that's Thursday. Camp Sambica. We'll have a great time. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us. And Lord, we thank you for your comfort. God, we're here because we're hungry spiritually. And we want to humble ourselves before you to receive your presence, your word, all of your wisdom, direction for us, encouragement, hope today, it's all found in closeness to you, Jesus. And we love you, Lord. We trust what you're going to do now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. As we set the table for this series, and as we lay out an introduction right now and walk through the beginning of this book, 2 Corinthians, let's think through it. Because the beginning two verses, it's not just an introduction. It's not just a, hey, how's it going in Corinth? There is a lot of detail and information in these first two verses. Let's take a look at how Paul opens up this letter. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you read 2 Corinthians, and the year is about 55 AD, but actually it's not the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Paul loves these people, and he's writing letters to build them up, But Bible scholars point out that the first letter was lost, and the second letter to the Corinthians is what we call 1 Corinthians. And then many think the third letter was also lost, and now this is the fourth letter to the Corinthians. Everyone got that? The second letter is 1 Corinthians, the fourth letter is 2 Corinthians. Real simple, right? Who's on first? What's going on? I thought this was just an introduction. It represents the challenges in communication in letters and holding on to letters. And there's going to be a lot of challenges in Corinth. This is kind of a microcosm of some big, deep challenges that Paul's going to walk through with these people. But he loves these people. And it's the love that drives the letters. Have you ever had a long-distance relationship? And you know when you can't see each other, it's love that keeps you close. Have you ever had a time where, because you're long distance, you write physical letters, maybe in a courtship, or you send long emails because you want to share your heart, you want to connect? Paul is writing letter after letter because he loves these people so much. And when people are dear to you, you want to connect, you want to communicate, you want to be close to one another. That's Paul's heart as he's writing these letters. And he introduces himself, Paul, an apostle. And you might think, well, of course he's an apostle. I mean, he's Paul. He wrote like 13 letters in the Bible. He goes on mission trips. He plants churches. He goes all over the world. I mean, he's the Apostle Paul. But Paul often introduces himself without saying apostle. So why does he say apostle here? It's because there's a group of troublemakers in Corinth. There's a group of false teachers. And what they're claiming is that they are the real apostles, and the Apostle Paul is not an apostle. And they undermine him. They undermine his teaching. They undermine his message. They undermine his character. They say that he's taking money. You know the money that you gave to the poor? He's taking some of that money. It's a false claim. But here they are, slander, gossip. They're trying to take Paul down. I got to mention at 9 o'clock when I said they're trying to take Paul down, the base over here just went like boom, and it fell down at 9. I was like, we didn't plan that. Hope the base is all right. Sounded good at 1045, but it was kind of an added spontaneous uh, effect. That You feel that. They're trying to take Paul down. Paul saying, no, I'm an apostle. God's called me. That's who God says I am. And he says that he's with Timothy. Timothy is the apprentice, the understudy. Paul's training Timothy. Five letters Paul's mentioned being with Timothy. And it raises the question for all of us, who's with you? Who's with you? Who's with you when you pray? Who's with you when you serve? Who's with you when you share your faith? Who's with you when you go on missions trips? Who's with you when you're reading the Bible? Like, who's with you when you're using your gifts in different ways? Who's with you? Because in the Bible, it's very rarely solo. In the Western culture, in the Pacific Northwest, We're all about solo and individual to such a degree that sometimes we follow the patterns of this world and we forget that Jesus is so much emphasizing over and over again, it's we more than me. And part of that we is to have people come alongside of us to do it together, to train people up. It's always good to have a mentor. It's always good to be learning. We are lifelong learners And if you think you've arrived, you don't need a mentor, like like that could just be you getting kind of puffed up, actually, because we all need to be learning and growing. 
and then we all can pour into people and help them take the next steps. And whatever that looks like in their next step with Jesus, build into them, do it with somebody. So I'm exhorting you, don't fall into the trap where your preset is just solo. And it's all about me, and I do it alone, because that's not actually full or holistic or like Jesus. Yes, there's some stuff alone, but it's who's with you? Who's with you? Paul's with Timothy. Paul's with Silas. Like Jesus, he has three. He's with them, with them, with them. And let's train people up. Let's do it together. It's part of a Jesus community. And he's writing to the church in Corinth. Let's take a look at this map. And you think of present-day Greece, the southern part of Greece, and there's Corinth. It's on the water. It's a seaport. There's a lot of trade. There's a lot of commerce. And they are flourishing financially. They are flourishing with their economy, but not their souls. You know, you can be very wealthy. A country or a city or a neighborhood can have a lot of money and big houses, but the souls sometimes are dry or empty. And in Corinth, they had all this materialistic prosperity, but their souls were not flourishing. And to give you a picture here, being a seaport, there's thousands that are coming in, sailors everywhere. And the sailors that are coming in are not looking for Bible studies. They're not signing up for life groups. They're living a life of immorality. And if you think about Corinth, it was not hard to find sin. If you've ever been to Las Vegas, sin isn't subtle in a lot of settings, right? They go to Corinth, and there's prostitutes everywhere in Corinth. It's just like prostitute, 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 prostitute. Like they're everywhere, and it's a massive business. It's lucrative in Corinth. This is how extreme things were in Corinth. There's a Greek word for being sexually immoral. Do you know what that word is? To Corinthianize. You say, oh, tell me a little about your city. What do you love? What's going on there? Oh, well, the name of our city means to be sexually immoral. Like, that's what we're all about. That's what we do here in Corinth. Well, what does God do in the middle of that? God raises up local church, a local church with the love and light of Jesus, a Jesus community in the middle of the darkness. And this is what God does throughout history. This is God's plan for today. He raises up local churches in Corinth. He's going to say, here's some leaders. Here's some elders. You're going to gather. You're going to gather. You're going to celebrate the Lord. You're going to take communion. You're going to get into his word, and you're going to transform the culture because you're not just to be influenced, but you're a culture changer, and a Jesus community is going to change everything. And this Jesus community of ordinary people who were in that lifestyle who are still trying to break out of that lifestyle, who are trying to figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus together. Those are the people that receive this letter. These are the Corinthians. And the message to them is grace and peace. Receive the grace, the grace of Jesus, this love, this undeserved gift, and it'll lead to peace in your lives. You say, well, are we just going to you know, break away from the whole culture and it's going to become a monastery? And you know, what does this grace and peace look like? No, in the middle of Corinth, you're going to experience grace and peace. Grace comes first. It leads to peace. Not fake peace, not manufactured peace, but real peace that comes from the grace of God. Grace and peace to you in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the immorality. God's grace and peace. Receive it. And that's the introduction to the people in Corinth. And today, we're going to focus on the theme of relationship risks, which is a theme throughout this letter. This letter stands out because Paul is so open. 
He's going to share his heart. He's going to share his mind. He's going to share his struggles. This is one where he's going to get vulnerable. This is a letter focusing on relationships and some of the risks that are involved in relationships as well. He's intimate. It's heartfelt. And we're going to look today at three elements of healthy relationships. I'm going to read the eight verses here. You can look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. And here's the word of the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of compassion, and he's the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles, so we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you also share in our comfort. And Paul continues again. He's opening his heart. He's opening his life. And he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships that we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt a sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor God granted us in answer to the many prayers. Just read the Bible. You don't have to go into the Greek and have a long study. Just read the Bible during the day. Listen to the Lord. And we're going to uh, look at this section of Scripture, highlight three elements of healthy relationships. The first one is transparency, and it takes courage to share how things really are. Can I hear an amen that it takes courage to share how things really are? Now, there, Paul is going to say here, I'm going to open up about my celebrations. I'm going to open up about my struggles. I'm going to open up about the challenges I'm facing. I'm going to open up about everything that I'm going through, and we're going to share in this together. Fellowship means share. I'm going to share. You're going to share. We're going to connect. We're going to be transparent. We're going to share. Paul has no interest in being fake. He has no interest in a double life. He has no interest in a little religious language or veneer. He's got no interest in image maintenance. He's got no interest in playing the game of looking one way, but the reality is over here. He's got no interest in being fake. He's going to come authentic. He's going to set the tone for the community. And you know, when it comes to transparent, one is kind of playing it really safe, super shallow. Ten is where you just bare your soul, and you just lay it bare. Paul is going to break through the ice. He's going to set the tone. So, well, how do you know he's being transparent? It takes a lot of courage for a leader to step up and say, I'm battling with despair. And not just in one church, but in the region, for a leader to step up in the sound and say, I'm battling with despair, and it's so intense, I feel the sentence of death in my heart. That's 
how intense my battle is with discouragement and despair right now. I feel the sentence of death. And for Paul, the leader, the apostle Paul, to just say, this is what's going on. This is what I've been walking through. It's like, oh, okay, we're not just doing nice church. <laughs> we're not just coming Sunday morning. Like, we're getting real, real now. I get it. You know how there's kind of honest, there's honest, and there's most honest? Right? And, and where do we want our relationships? It's something to think through. Like, where are my relationships? Where's my marriage? What about with kids, coworkers, church, life group? Like, how honest? Where are we going? And, and Paul says, this is where I'm going. I'm going to break the ice. It's time to open up my heart. And it's time to go there and get real. And it takes courage to share how things really are. I want to affirm that we need discernment. I want to affirm that there's appropriate settings. I want to affirm age appropriate. I want to affirm being wise about who you share with. And some people are more trustworthy than others. I'm not just talking about a foolish, like put the wrong stuff out there with the wrong people. Affirming that wisdom and that discernment that God gives, then stepping into a healthy transparency. And it's been said, there's no healing until the revealing. Take that in. There's no healing until the revealing. When we stuff and play games and denial, there's really not an openness for God to move and in our relationships for God to heal and comfort. And until there's a revealing, the healing is delayed. As he bears his heart and he bears his mind, he says, we're under great pressure. This word pressure means troubles and hardships. It's going to be a consistent experience we're going to see throughout this book of 2 Corinthians. And these troubles and hardship include persecutions and beating and an illness and misunderstood. And people are undermining him. These are all part of the hardships and troubles. And a big reason, a big cause for the suffering that Paul's going through, it's because he's fully living for Jesus. That's a big reason he has so much persecution and so many people want to kill him and take him out is because he's fully living for Jesus. Now, someone might come alongside of Paul at this point and say, Paul, these are so many hardships. Why don't you take your foot off the gas pedal in your walk with God? You know, instead of going for Jesus and all in, why don't you just go a little to the left, a little to the right? Why don't you just back off a little bit? Because if you keep planting churches and sharing your faith and telling people the word and sticking with the word instead of the culture and rebuking people, if you keep doing this kind of stuff, you're going to be killed. And I think Paul's attitude is, well, then bring it on. Because I'd rather be faithful to Jesus in this hour. And this is a deciding hour in our culture. Like, which way are we going to go? He says, my allegiance is with Jesus. And if I die walking with Jesus, then I die. But that's the direction I'm going in this. And, and that's Paul's commitment. I pray we share that commitment. But it's also great pressure. He says it's beyond our ability to endure. What we're facing right now is beyond our ability. Does he say it's a little bit beyond our ability? No. Does he say it's, you know, it's, it's a ways beyond our ability? No, he says, what I'm going through right now is far beyond my ability to endure. Far beyond what I can do on my own. Someone well-intentioned might say to you, God is not going to give you more than you can handle. And that might be well-intentioned, but I'll tell you this, life will give you more than you can handle on your own. With God, you can handle it because his grace is sufficient. 
But life alone will give you more than you can handle alone on your own. And so don't be duped in thinking, you know, if I just try harder, it's all going to work. No, that's not where transparency and hardships lead us. And instead, uh, with far beyond our ability to endure, we need a picture. And there's a picture I was reading in the news, and this comes out of Albuquerque. Coming out of New Mexico, there's a restaurant. And this restaurant is, just take a guess how much you know, elevation there is, 10,300 feet. It's at a peak. 10-3 is the name of the restaurant. You have to take a tram to go up to the restaurant. And some of you are thinking, wow, that sounds romantic. When's our anniversary? When's our next vacation? Like you take the tram, you have the restaurant up at the peak. Well, this is what happened. The workers at the restaurant, there were 19 of them, they finished at 9 p.m. It's the end of their shift. And they grab all of the trash and they bring it into the tram. 19 people and all the trash. Because the garbage man doesn't drive his truck up to the restaurant. He's not going to come pick it up. you got to bring it down. In this little box... 19 people, all the trash, 9 p.m. Now, the winds pick up. Temperatures are freezing in the 20s. Snow is blowing through, and the tram gets stuck. 10 o'clock, it's still stuck. 11 o'clock, it's not moving. Midnight, nothing's changing. 1 o'clock, it says that they were swinging like on the playground a swing because of the wind huddled in this tram. And here they are thinking they're going home from a full day's work, and now they don't know if they're going to live. And the descriptions, everything was quiet. It was dark, freezing. We were literally freezing, all of us shivering. And the small safety blankets, they didn't retain any heat. You know what they did? They started to ration a couple pretzels, some gummies, and some water. And they started to ration that out. And they said... You just start thinking, is this how I'm going to die in a tiny box with my coworkers? And at 3.49 a.m., they're still bunched together, mostly silent. Now, here's a couple blessings, and I see God's hand in provision, protection in the story. One is they said, we thank God there was a built-in toilet in the tram. That's one. A second blessing, they were able to communicate, and it was with the system the tramway workers below, there was some communication. And I think about how God hears us at three in the morning when, when the world and our minds are spinning and who's still there, we can still talk with God. They could still have a conversation. They still talked. Other ways that God provided. There's someone named Spencer Moreland from Search and Rescue. They called him at 3 a.m. because that's when they realized something's terribly wrong. They called Search and Rescue. Spencer got out of bed, made it there by 4 a.m., and Spencer then, with the team, started a trek. And rescuers, they had to hike more than four hours up the steep terrain in the snowstorm. They had to get to a tower, climb to the tram, and set up a rope system to then lower people to safety. And then they brought in a helicopter to whisk people away at the time. And this is where I see God's hand. They said the weather, the visibility at that key moment, the visibility increased so that they could bring in the helicopter and rescue the people. Otherwise, they were looking at the option where they were going to have to hike to safety four hours. They were not equipped for it. And one person said, the cooks had Crocs on. 
The cooks wearing Crocs to work now realize this would be their footwear to try to descend after so many hours up in the air. And they were rescued. An incredible rescue. What I want you to enter in and feel is that when they're in that tram, there is no way they can rescue themselves. Amen? There is no way they can rescue themselves. And what that points us to spiritually is that all of us have sinned against God in God's love, while we were still sinners, he demonstrates his rescue and his love for us by sending Jesus. None of us could save ourselves. It is not through righteousness or morality or good behavior. None of us have the capability to save ourselves as a rescue in the grace of God. And every rescue that we see points to the rescue of Jesus Christ in our lives. We are in his family and saved, forgiven, loved, eternal life by his grace. That's his rescue. And again and again, God rescues us. And these rescues for Paul, it's going to include riots, death threats, people trying to kill him, shipwrecked, poisonous snakes biting him. The book of Acts, it's an incredible action movie. And God is there Paul is transparent about what he's going through, and he says, often, often, far beyond my ability to endure. If you're here today and you feel like the circumstances of life are far beyond what you can handle on your own, you're in great company, because that's how Paul lived. And that's a reality that many people don't want to face, and sometimes we just would rather fake people, deny it, or, you know, kind of trick people in a sense. And Paul says, I'm going to be transparent about all of this because transparency is where you see Jesus, where you see Jesus so clearly in someone's life. Transparency opens it up so we can see Jesus clearly. And that's Paul's ultimate goal. That transparency leads to reliance. Reliance, it takes humility to learn how to receive well. Would you agree that it takes humility to receive I mean, we have to admit that we need the Lord. And one of the ways that's very clear here, it's through prayer. Paul says, I need prayer. I need your help. I'm thankful for your prayers. God's working through your prayers. He keeps saying prayer, 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 prayer. Where you have a lot of reliance on God, you have a lot of prayer. Where you don't have much reliance on God, you don't have much prayer. How do you know if you're relying on God? Well, just take a look at the prayers in our lives. How do we know if our nation's relying on God? Well, just take a look at prayer. Pride blocks prayer. But when we're transparent, we realize how much we need God, and that leads us to prayer, and prayer opens the door for God's power. Instead of us just what we can do and full of ourselves, prayer says, I'm going to rely on God. At grace, prayer is growing, and it's our desire to have a culture of prayer. That's why we have prayer during the service. We have a prayer team after the service. We have drive-through prayer here Fridays, 5 to 7, and it's open to our community in our parking lot. We have elders that pray and anoint with oil during the service. We have prayer teams. We have prayer requests. We have 24-7 prayer that you can take a 30-minute slot and guard that time and pray each week. We have fasting and prayer. I mean, life groups, a big focus is prayer. Prayer with one another, for one another. I'm not saying these things to say that we're program-based. I'm sharing these things to say that just as God was increasing prayer in Paul's life, in the life of the church at Corinth, God is increasing prayer, and it's a good thing in our church because when you pray, God's presence and power, God who's everywhere, shows up somewhere, and we're saying yes to God. 
Why did all these hardships come? Well, we have the answer. Paul says, here's the reason the hardships have come. So that I would learn to rely on God. Why are all these hardships happening? There's some mysteries. We don't know every reason. But one reason is that I would learn to receive from God. I would learn to abide with God. I would learn to pray. I would learn to listen to God. I would learn how to say yes to the Holy Spirit. And when they're going through the wilderness, God provides manna and it's bread. And they have to look to God each morning. They pick up bread, but God says not on the Sabbath. So before the Sabbath, they take a double portion of bread. And what they're learning is more than just bread and eating some bread or, wow, this wonderful bread that came from heaven. What they're learning is to rely on God. What they're learning is that God, you lead, will rely on you. And this is what they're learning, to shift the source. To shift the source. If your source is yourself, your source is too small. That source is going to run out and leave you disappointed, going to leave you dry. But if you shift your source and you learn how to rely on God, God's love, there's no, that well, just there's no bottom to that well. That love, that hope, that encouragement, that word, you shift your source. Yes, God's given you strength. You're still going to use strength. You're still going to use your gifts. You're still going to look like you, okay? You're not going to have this strange transformation and like three eyes are going to pop out. Like you're going to be you. God's made you wonderfully. Gifts, talents, personality. But you're going to come alive because your source, instead of just self-sufficient, see in that lie. Now you found a greater source. And when you lean into that source, you're going to say things you never thought you'd say. You're going to do things you thought were going to be impossible. You're going to have shifts in your life. You're going to go to places. You're going to bless countries. You're going to have courage. All these things are going to change. And that's a Jesus community. That's a Jesus community. A Jesus community is not a white knuckle, try harder, best practice, just do better. That's not a Jesus community. A Jesus community is abiding with Jesus and his presence and power just take over. And then we're along for the ride. And that's fun. Because you can't share what you don't have. You can't share what you don't have. And if you don't receive his peace, you're not going to bring his peace. If you don't receive his comfort, you're not going to bring his comfort. You don't receive his patience, you're not going to be patient with people. You don't receive his love, you're not going to bring that Jesus love to other people. You can't fake or manufacture what you don't have. And so first receive. The Christian life, the first step is receive. Receive in abundance. God is just looking for who's hungry, who's humble. He'll give grace to the humble. He'll oppose the proud. Who's hungry? Who's humble? Here comes the abundance of joy and peace and kindness, forgiveness. Here comes the abundance. And then you just say, here's, Lord, I receive it. My mouth is open. I receive. And out of that receiving, there's an overflow. This isn't just rules and religions and rituals. This is a receiving and a relationship with a living God who brings an abundance that we don't have on our own. And that abiding will bear much fruit. And one of those things that God provides is comfort. In comfort, it takes unselfishness to bless someone who's in pain. It takes unselfishness. Jesus is the, he's the most unselfish, and he's blessing people. Let's take a look at who God is in verse 3. Again, I'll read this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I don't know how you view God, but if you want to be accurate... When you look at God, you see the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. You look at Jesus and the comfort he brings 
and it's tied to his unselfishness. And the Holy Spirit who dwells in us when you're a follower of Jesus is the comforter. And he's the paraclete, and he comes alongside, and from the inside, he comforts. The source of our comfort is God, and God provides it. I didn't say that God wants our lives to be comfortable. I didn't say that. There is a big difference between God's comfort and then comfortable living. Uh, Comfortable can be an idol. It's good to enjoy. If you've got comfortable clothes, that's a blessing. Comfortable car, great. Enjoy your ride home. Uh, maybe bring someone to church with you in that comfortable car. Uh, com- comfortable home? You know, have some people over. Enjoy. Savor the blessings. Like, if you've got a comfortable bank account, you know, praise God. You can use that money for great things. You might have some things that feel comfortable, and I'm not saying they're wrong or sinful. Like, enjoy or savor some of those blessings. But what I am saying is that often it goes too far from just a few blessings to an idol of being comfortable. And then what happens when the idol's there is that I'm more committed to being comfortable, so now I'm going to try to make all my relationships comfortable. I'm going to make all my conversations comfortable. I'm going to look around in the culture and just fit in because comfortable is the main thing. And so I'm going to create this lifestyle where the primary goal is comfortable And the implications is I'm going to miss out on influence and impact. I'm going to miss out on spiritual growth. And I'm going to miss out on living for Jesus in so many ways because I'm committed to being comfortable. And the body of Christ in America right now is at a crossroads. Are we going to live a life for Jesus? Often very uncomfortable, but receive the comfort of God in the middle of the uncomfortable? Or are we just going to commit to comfortable? And I'm going to live comfortable. And then Jesus, however you fit into my comfortable plan, you can have those places in my life. Because I'm going comfortable, Jesus, and you just come along for the ride. And that is at the crux of a key spiritual decision in the body of Christ right now. Because it's getting less and less comfortable to live for Jesus in our land. And where's our allegiance? For Paul, he's committed to being one with Jesus. And you know what? It's not always going to be comfortable. Comfort is God's strength his encouragement, and his hope. His comfort is greater than our challenges, and you can't sever the comforter from the comfort. You can't sever the blesser from the blessings. There were a lot of people who physically were following Jesus when he was on this earth because they wanted the next miracle, or they wanted the next healing, or they wanted the next provision of a multiplication of food. They wanted the blessings, but they didn't want the blesser. And it doesn't work that way. You can't sever those and play that game with God. Like, God, I'm not really going to be close to you, but could you pour out all your comfort? Like, that place doesn't exist. Like, you get close to God, and then the comfort starts to flow. But it's not, it's not like you're distant relationally, but then an abundance of comfort. So draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And the comforter and the comfort come together. You say, you know, when you look back in your life, there's going to be times, and that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He said, how do we make it through this, 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 and this? How do we make it when I lost some friends? How do I do it when I lost um, family members and loved ones? How do I do it when I lost that job or I lost that career? How do I make it through when I lost some of those finances? How do I make it through when I feel like I was losing hope? How did I make it through? And what Paul's saying, it's the comfort of God that makes all the difference. You lean in and receive the comfort of God. For some of us, our receivers have become kind of broken because there's so much pride there. For some of us, the receivers 
Well, we've got this perfectionistic thing that's kind of twisted, and we're putting all the pressure on ourselves. For some of us, we've been hurt, or there's been some trauma, and so we blocked, our receiver has been blocked. And we need to have healthy receivers again, to receive afresh. Because if you block the blessings and the presence of God in your life, it's a very discouraging place, and it's got despair written all over. But today, right now, anyone here can say, God, I'm going to open up, and I'm going to receive in a fresh way from you right now. And as God blesses us and comforts us, the Bible says here we comfort other people. We're going to take this word and move it into action, some application in this series. And you heard Liz share a story. We're going to hear different stories uh, each week. And we're going to look at this bless. What is bless? Bless is when you begin with prayer, then you listen to people. You eat or grab coffee with someone. You start to serve them as you find out what some of their needs are. And you share. You share your story or you share about Jesus and bless other people. Genesis 12 is a foundational part of Scripture. God blesses Abraham to be a blessing. And God has blessed you to be a blessing. You see that in Scripture? God blesses you. Why? To be a blessing. Why has God blessed you with finances so you can be generous? Why has he blessed you with peace so you can bring that comfort to other people? Why has he blessed you with talents so you can bless other people and serve them well? God blesses you to be a blessing. And when we bless people, uh, here's three pieces that are drawn together when you bless people. It's first, caring. When we bless someone, we care for them. Second, there's this empowering that happens because now we're learning to pray. We're learning to listen. We're learning to connect. We're learning to reach out into our community and serve. Like we're learning and growing. And it leads to this advancing where God's love and his light start to spread. Now, for the last two years, the elders and staff monthly just share blessed stories. Uh, in, in my own house, we gather on Fridays. We share blessed stories. This isn't a look at us, let's go bless people, we've got it all together. This is simply, God has blessed us, let's go bless some people, because this is scripture. Let's go bless and see what God will do. Let's be intentional, and um, clarity is kindness, clarity is kindness, so God blesses us to bless other people. Here's the summary, Jesus leads us into relationship risks, because that's how love is expressed, and the culture is changed. Those relationship risks might be mutually exclusive from a very comfortable lifestyle. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he's taking relationship risks with transparency, with reliance, and about comfort. And he's opening up. He's going to not just write a letter, but it's his life. He's going to take relationship risks in Corinth because that's how the love of Jesus flows. That's how churches are changed. That's how cultures are changed. Through those relationship risks led by the Holy Spirit. A Jesus community is based on the love of Jesus and includes so, so many relationship risks. Jesus, he risked because he brought a greater love. That's the reason for the risk because you bring a greater love. Think about the risk when he left heaven and came to earth. Born in a manger, that's a risk. 
He took relationship risks as he washed people's feet, as he connected with lepers, as he connected with Gentiles, as he declared that children should come to him because children are valuable. Every one of them is a blessing. As he declared and connected with women and said women are not second rate, they have equal value as men. He took relationship risks through his whole life. He took relationship risks on the cross where he sacrificed an unselfishness, and he guides us towards relationship risks to bless other people. And what we see at the beginning of this chapter is really what we see throughout the Bible and what we see in Jesus' life. And we're not here just to study Jesus. We're here to follow him. And Jesus wants to work through you in ways that you couldn't plan, think, or imagine. And we're going on an adventure right now. You say, well, is there going to be a gospel experience tonight? Yeah. Is there going to be blessed stories? Yeah. Are we going to do some things in the community? Yeah. But I don't know what God's going to do. You don't know what God's going to do. Is, is Mark Edwards not executive pastor? Yeah, we see God moving, but we don't know what's going to happen in this series. But we're going to enter into that spot where we're relying on God. I want to close in a unique way. And right now I want to uh, do just what we're talking about. And that's to come together and bless. And I'm going to invite people who have come today who really know that you need God's comfort. You're going through something right now. It could be health-related, relationship-related. Maybe you've been feeling discouragement or despair. Maybe something's been lost. Maybe there's a threat. Uh, whatever that is, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to go into any details. I'm just going to ask you to stand up. And as those people stand up, everyone else here in this room is going to pray for the people who are standing up. We're not going to go over there. We're not going to lay hands on those people, but we're going to pray for anyone who's standing up. In the first service, many people stood up, and we had a sweet time of praying for God's comfort. We're going to pray the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, is here to comfort. And for some people right now, uh, there's no shame in this. We, we're grateful. This is a place, transparency, it's kind of a step of being vulnerable and being real, is, is just to say, I've come today, and I really need God's comfort. You don't have to explain any details, but would you please stand up right now if you've come and you know at this season, at this time, you need God's comfort. There's just no shame. We celebrate that. Yes, I see people standing up. Just go ahead and stand up where you are and stand up if you're here today and you know you need God's comfort, his healing, his restoration. You know you need comfort from God. And it's really clear in your life right now. Thank you for standing up. We love you. We care about you. We're going to pray for you right now. I'm going to ask everyone who's sitting down to extend your hands. Take a look at who's around you. Don't go over to them, but just extend your hands towards them as an act of love and care where you're seated. Extend your hand towards the people who are standing up right now. And together, we're going to pray. God, we thank you that we're a family. We thank you that we're your family. God, we thank you that you are the father of all comfort. God, we thank you how you provide comfort, how you minister, God, in so many ways, through your word and your spirit, God, through other people. You're a God who brings comfort, God, because we go through so much pain and we go through loss and we don't have answers and we feel despair, God, and sometimes we're hurting and we feel so alone and like no one understands and we don't see a way out. And God, we pray that you'd move in power right now through your spirit, God, to bring comfort, to tell these people that they are loved by you, God, that we are walking together, that there's hope, God, that you provide and you'll guide at each step and your grace will be sufficient. Father, move in power right now, we pray for you your glory. Bring the healing and the peace, God, that only you can bring to, to really guard hearts and minds. 
to set clear vision or fresh vision. God, we pray for these people standing up, dear brothers and sisters, that they would receive, that any blockers in their life, they would just receive. They've come here, they've stood up right now, God, to receive. God, pour out your spirit. Pour out your comfort. Pour out your hope, Jesus. Fresh breath, fresh life, fresh wind, healing in deep places. Thank you, God, how you move. Thank you we can be real with each other. Give you the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name as we worship. Amen. Amen.